Welcome to The Alternative Investor, the show where we discuss, debunk, and demystify all things about investing in alternative assets. Broker deals and off-market deals. Brad, what are the differences between those two things? Ooh, they're night and day. Black and white. Black and white. You know, a broker deal, you know, people... Nobody wants to do a broker deal in our world. Everybody wants an off-market deal. It's the white whale, right? Everybody thinks the holy grail. Yeah, you're going to get a dramatically better price from an off-market deal is what most people think in our world. It's not necessarily true. So we thought we'd go through, you know, what are the nuances between broker deals and off-market deals just so you can think through as a buyer or an investor about how to, you know. How or to, even a seller. Or even a seller. I don't know if sellers are listening to us. I'm sure there's some. If you are and you have a great uh, business or piece of property, please call. Um, so a broker deal. Let's start there, right? So what is a broker deal? Well, it's just you know everybody understands what a broker is. They put a buyer and seller together. So they're a third party advisor that is formally going to market a deal, put it out to market, right? List it, so to speak. And there's not uh, you know an MLS equivalent for the commercial real estate. Yeah, I, th- I feel like there's a nice real estate analogy here, or residential real estate when you're selling your home, right? And everyone knows what a real estate agent does. Yeah, so there's, uh, you know, the difference here, a broker deal is just a real estate agent deal where it's going up on Zillow or Trulia versus an off-market deal would be like a for sale by owner deal in the residential world. Yeah, uh, so off-market deals are, yeah, that's where like a, a buyer might, proactively reach out to a seller. You know, in fact, I do this in my day job and I'm trying to buy a company right now. I, I proactively reach out to sellers and say, hey, do you want to sell your business? And, you know, that would be considered an off-market deal. There's not a third-party advisor involved. They're not using someone to market the deal. Uh, it's just a conversation between two people and a buyer and a seller. It's a very simple, uh, natural process. Yeah, and it's actually more efficient if you think about it. We'll get into that. Yeah, okay. So broker deals versus off-market deals. Today's topic uh, we're going to walk through some of the differences and similarities between the two, and then we'll wrap it up with uh, our thoughts on them. All right, so Brad, let's kick it off. So what? Let's talk about. Let's start off with the process. The process on a broker deal versus a proprietary or off-market deal. What are the differences there? Yeah, so the process just means that there's structure to it with a broker deal, right? You are going yeah, it's hi- formal. Yeah, it's formal. You're going to hire a broker. And they're going to ask for you to sign a listing agreement with them if you're the seller, right? So they have an exclusive deal with you to go out and market your property or your business. And then you're going to get them all this information, right? Which is just the due diligence materials that you would be giving a, a buyer anyways. Uh, and they're going to use this information to put together a package, right? Sometimes it's called an offering memorandum. What's it, what's it called in your world? We we call it a SIM, C I M, which is confidential a SIM SIM confidential information memorandum. I think, but I don't think anyone ever actually does the whole thing. Yeah, so it's just a package, right? It's and, a marketing document, right? Yeah, and in the document, it's got you know the most important part of the document is really just the rent roll and the financials, and then it's going to have a lot of you know fluff in it. Well, that's for real estate. Oh yeah, sorry. That's just yeah, don't, real don't forget us. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot about you guys. Well, what else is there besides? <laughs> oh my, you know, are you kidding me? The and, financials. You no, know, in private equity, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the market. The uh, the history of the business, the team, the uh, the product itself. I mean, man, we get. Oh yeah, these I are guess, 40, I guess that's 50 slide decks on our, in our world. I, again, just so jealous of the simplicity of the real estate <laughs> world. <laughs> 
But yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, literally it's so funny because I used to, you know, prepare some of these things, right? And uh for large deals. So you would you would have this real glossy, big, you know, crazy offering memorandum that was a hundred pages long that looked gorgeous and had all kinds of crazy information in it. And as the buyer on the other side, I when I would get one of these things, <laughs> I would like flip to the financials yeah, like, page right, and fluff, 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 yeah, fluff. And fluff. that and that was yeah. it. Yeah. So no, yeah, you know, it's a good point. I think as buyers in private equity, we do consider all the business and market information, but you know, we we also do our own. So, but it, it but it is valuable. Is there a page that specifically talks about assumptions? No. <laughs> I don't no? think no. So. I mean, you know, once in a while that'll be a footnote on a slide, but I don't, you know, there's usually not uh there's usually not they don't really formally call out all the assumptions they've made. Oh, that was always my favorite slide too, because you're like, oh, these are ridiculous assumptions. Wrong. These are all so rosy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the so a broker or a banker. By the way, banker is a, a probably a nicer word for the word broker. Bro it's a fancy broker. It's a fancy broker. It's a broker that gets paid more and probably, yeah. but in all fairness, probably does you know do more work. I think of a broker as just putting together a buyer and a seller, and I think of a banker as actually really you know doing the work on the company or the real estate property to prepare like a really slick marketing deck with lots of information in it. Is that, well, is that fair? You know what? I honest, honestly think the difference is having Do been on the, on the sell side. Tell us. I think it's just the dollars involved. I just think it's literally you go from, okay, am I selling a $1 million deal? Right. And I'm a residential, you know, agent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Versus That's a, a, a billion dollar deal. You're doing basically the same job. It's just vastly more complicated and therefore you have to be a little more sophisticated, have a bigger team, yeah, have more talent. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's kind of the same thing. I, in, it seems like in private equity, if if you're doing less than I don't know, like if I mean if you're doing less, if you're doing a few hundred thousand dollars in profit, uh, you're probably using a broker. Just you know, the fees are probably lower and it's a less sophisticated process. And if you start to get into a few million dollars in profit, you're going to start using a banker and somewhere in between there is the inflection with the transition point. What would you guess is the breakdown between uh, sellers that use brokers versus sellers that just go direct? Oh my gosh. I, you know, it probably obviously varies by deal size. I think if, if you're doing over 10 million in revenue, 10 or 15 million in revenue in the private equity world, you're, you're probably almost always using a broker. One to 10 million in revenue, it's, it's pretty split. And I think, you know, 2 million, 1 million in revenue or less, you're probably using a broker. And or you're, or I should say, you're you're either using a broker or you're going uh, doing proprietary. Got it. So if you had twelve million, fifteen, twenty million in revenue, you you want to go with a broker because you feel like uh, the broker has a wider universe of buyers. Yeah, you know, it's probably a more sophisticated company that requires a little bit more work to kind of tell the story. And uh, yeah, and then I think you're going to, you know, you've, you've built a 15 to $20 million revenue business. So you want to make sure you get the highest price. You, you know, you feel better about the auction process that the banker's going to run. Got it. Most of the time, but you know, not yeah. always for sure. Yeah. Well, that's the same thing in, in real estate too, is, you know, having worked on the sell side, it's, if you're selling a large enough deal, you have to go with one of these large investment banks because they are the ones that have all the context with, you know, the global universe of large scale buyers. Yeah. But anyways, back to the process. So it, we've talked about creating the offering memorandum, which is the package, the formal document that goes out to everybody that has signed a confidentiality agreement. Do you guys do this? Yeah. We call them NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. <sighs> Why can't we just line up the <laughs> we terminology? We should just standardize here. 
So the confidentiality or NDA agreement, uh, usually you have to, as a prospective buyer, you have to sign this thing, which is super annoying. Uh, and you have to sign this thing in order to get the offering offering memorandum. And the reason why a seller, I mean, I get it. The reason why a seller would want you to sign this is so you don't blast all these this private information about either the company or the, the property uh, publicly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. also it kind of protects the, the broker too, in, in a way, because you don't want some kind of off-market deal trying to happen uh, that you're not aware of. Right. And then there's usually multiple rounds of bids, right? So they'll, they'll, you know, in our world, again, in private equity, they call them, you know, they start off with an indication of interest or an IOI. And it basically is just a letter saying, hey, here's how much, you know, I like this business. Here's how much I'd be prepared to buy it for. And then, you know, that might be the first round. Wait, an IOI? I thought it was an LOI. We did a whole episode on LOI. No, this is a, this is a totally different OI. Oh, yeah. Great. No, this is IOI. Um, although capital I and a lowercase L look suspiciously similar. Uh, that's another, <laughs> that's another conversation. Um, yeah. So you know, multiple rounds of bids where they, you know, they progressively narrow down the list, the universe of, uh, of buyers until it's down to two or three. And then, you know, then those guys go through more meetings with the sellers and then, you know, they narrow it down to one. Yeah. So we always did buyer interviews at that point. What it could be a second, third, even fourth round, we would do buyer interviews and that would essentially be a way to kind of figure out who's got the most real number, who is most comfortable with, you know, some of the due diligence items that you've already given to the select group of buyers that have made it to that round. Yeah. Do you guys do the same thing? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And there's a lot, there's a lot of interviews at that point. So yeah, but it's, you know, it's a process. It's a formal process. It takes a little while. Um, it's, it, you know, as opposed to, I suppose we should talk about the process for a one-off deal or a proprietary deal, off-market deal, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's, that's a little bit more um, customized, I should say. It kind of depends on the buyer and the seller in that situation, right? But it's really more of a straightforward negotiation, um, you know, where you know the the buyer and the seller kind of work out, right? Roughly work out a price that you know they want to transact at, and then the buyer goes through a diligence process, and then they go through a purchase agreement, and then they they close. Yeah, um, I like I'm working on one right now. I'm negotiating an off market deal, and it's because we've purchased another property from the seller, and he literally just sh shot me an email. He said, hey, Brad, you know the uh, the deal you wanted to buy three years ago? And I said, never. Uh, <laughs> things have changed in my life. I, I love those. I love those calls. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, if you hit this number, you got it. Yeah. Good. It was literally a two-email negotiation on the purchase price. And you hit it? And we hit it. Okay. And now we're... You didn't quit you know, it? No. We didn't. <laughs> I'm going to stay right. away from that one. <laughs> okay. So that's the process. So, yeah. So, so some, other, some other similarities or differences between a broker deal... And an off-market deal, likelihood of close, and this is man, this is important to me as a as a as a guy who's looking to buy a company. Um, you know, a lot of my initial vetting process is around how serious a seller is, like how likely are they actually going to close, how motivated are they to sell, you know, how much do they really want to sell this business versus just kicking tires or trying to get a price out of you. Whereas I, f I feel like with a broker or a banker, man, they're committed, right? They've probably paid some money for the broker or banker up front. They're going to pay more when it closes. They've already gone through the pain of of letting the broker, the banker, dig through their business and understand it. I mean, don't you, don't you it's agree? It's a great signal. Right? Yeah. It's like they're probably going to transact and do a deal. 
Yeah, it's it's a lot of work, and you also there's just momentum to it, right? You don't want to. You just feel bad for taking a, a deal off the market after you've had this poor broker jump through all these hoops. <laughs> this guy is not going to get paid unless it really closes, right? Yeah. So there is some momentum to them. Sure, they fall out. Like I've worked on plenty of deals on the sales side that the guys just changed their mind, right? They didn't get quite the number they wanted, or something happened that they just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and said, hey, you know what? We're going to keep it. Yeah. So as a buyer, I think it's a, it's a nice signal if a seller is using a bank or a broker that, hey, they're serious. They it's really, way more likely. Yeah. They're going to close. Yeah. Versus an off-market deal, you know, somebody gets a number and then, oh, you know, maybe I'm interested in that price, right? They could stretch that out into months, years. Oh, yeah. Right? It, oh, there's, yeah. There's no... There's no process, so there's no deadline. There's no momentum to it. They can they can close whenever. Yep. yep. Versus a marketed deal, there's you know there's kind of defined, you know timelines. How about the quality of the deals? How would you how would you characterize the difference between quality of deal versus on a broker deal versus a an off market deal? Yeah. So because brokers don't want to waste their time, on average, I would bet that. Broker deals are higher quality on average. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that because they're, they're not going to they're not going to take the business if it's just a crap deal, right? Because it's like a low, low likelihood of close, and they're not going to get paid. Yeah. So the crappiest broker deals I, I see in, in today's market are are from brokers that uh, you've never heard of before that are like you know just out of college. Yeah, they're right? just trying to make a name. They're just trying to do something. Yeah, and they don't know enough. God bless them uh, about deals uh, to know that oh well, this thing is you know never going to sell or is so problematic at this price that uh, I'm just going to spin my wheels. Yep. No, totally agree. Okay, so uh, on a, on, as a buyer, probably a higher likelihood of close and probably on average a higher quality deal. If it's a banker, not, again, not, you know, this isn't absolute. There's always different, there's always exceptions, but on, on, on average, I'd say that's true. Um, what about timing? How, let's talk about how long it takes to close a, a you know, a banked or broker deal versus a, uh, an off market deal. Yeah. So I, I would say it's kind of, there's two sides to this. The broker deal usually has a def like we said is the defined process. The broker doesn't want to shop this thing forever and work on this thing forever. It's like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna put this on the market, and if it's a if it's a attractive deal, right? It's not gonna sit there for six months, right? It's going to get offers on it. Yeah, although I mean, but I think if if I'm a seller and I say, hey, look, I want to sell my business, and I sign a, I sign with a banker, it's probably it's probably nine to twelve months before that thing's going to close, right? I mean, that's, it, it's, it's a long, it's a longer time as, whereas an off market deal, sometimes those can close in, you know, two, three, four months, right? Just because the, the banker is going to run a real process, right? They're going to run a, you know, they're going to get to know your business and dig into it. And then they're going to do an auction process and go through multiple rounds. So I think, you know, I think it's much longer with a broker or a banker. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think you're right on average. I, I guess my point was that with the broker, you know, the, uh, he there, like I said, there's a kind of a time frame to it. They don't want to just sit up, you know, let it sit out there forever. So you probably get offers sooner versus, you know, if a uh, if you're going off market, you know, you and you call three guys, right? There's not like a there's not a deadline. There's not a driver. But on average, I would agree with you. Well, that's a good point. I mean, if if you're a seller, you know, you own a business or you own a, a real estate property, and you say, look, you know, I want to sell this thing, but I'm going to do it off market. I guess from that point. To actually finding a, a real buyer they're going to enter into an agreement with that could that could also be nine months to a year so it's you know it's probably from the seller's perspective it's probably about the same amount of time 
from a buyer's perspective, if, if you're the buyer that kind of gets turned on to an off-market deal, you might close in two, three, four months, right? So it's, you know, it can go quicker for the buyer than a, than an auction process. Yep. Okay. So the, the brokers actually serve a pretty valuable role, I think, in the whole process, right? I mean, you know, if you think about the broker, they're a third party, they're, 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 um, they're not, you know, as invested in the deal as a buyer and a seller. I mean, this is extremely emotional process for a seller, right? I mean, oftentimes this is something that they've owned for a long time. They're finally selling it. You know, this might be their big payday. Uh, the broker can be kind of the coach, the psychologist, the, you know, the trusted friend and advisor and really help shepherd the deal along. Wouldn't you agree? A hundred percent. Yeah. Sometimes you have a business I or a property. I agree with that. You know, I'm very agreeable. <laughs> Sometimes you have a, a business or a property that's been in the family for 30, 50 years, right? And, and this person who is now retiring, who has worked on this company all their life practically, or their, this real estate property is now selling it and has no idea what they're doing next. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it sounds great to get a big check and go to the beach, but for a lot of these people, it is their identity, right? So the broker does, does help with that process and is there to kind of nudge them along if they start to get second thoughts about, about selling. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting Sort of almost conflict for a banker or a broker, right? Because you know you do want to get your you want to get your client the highest price and the best deal, but you also want this thing to close, right? Because if, if it doesn't close, you're not you know the, the lion's share of your payment kind of is contingent in, upon the deal closing. Yeah, you the don't get paid much. Yeah, if it's ten percent higher, I mean they've what the Freakonomic guys have done a great study on this on residential real estate agents about how how they just do not care. They don't care about that marginal about last the five marginal, or 10%. Yeah, yeah, when it's super meaningful for the seller, right? <laughs> yeah, that right. could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. Right, right, right. But it's just less important to the yeah, broker. They just want a surety of close. Yeah, so, he, you know, so uh, you know, the best broker or bankers, I think, will do a great job of, you know, reassuring the buyer, or excuse me, reassuring the seller that, hey, look, this is, you know, this is a good deal. You're, you know, you're, you're, you are going to get a good option, you know, good, a good opportunity here. And then, and also kind of counseling the the buyer on hey here's a number you need to hit or here's how you know here's some of the terms you need to you know you need to give for the for the seller to be comfortable yeah so i my, i think the best brokers are are just that right they they become psychiatrists they they hear during the due diligence process or especially if things are going sideways and people are trying to retrade which is just a term for you know trying to discount the price right yeah uh, because sometimes it's valid we talked about that last week but if if it's contentious, the broker you know plays marriage counselor totally right. And I I've had to do it. And you were a marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't know that. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. So oftentimes you know the broker or the uh, the buyer is pissed off about something you know that popped up and feels like the seller is being unreasonable and and just complains and bitches to the broker. And the broker has got to calm them down. Yeah, filter that through yeah. the filter that through. through the yeah, and then translate that message to something very you know nice and <laughs> uh, here yeah. I think they deserve this discount because of X Y and Z yeah. and not you son of a yeah right yeah. so they and they do it on the other side too with the, with the seller yeah no it's a it's a, it is it's a very important role and it and I think they the best bankers or brokers serve a very valuable role yeah and the the I've worked for some amazing bankers and the best ones. By far, they take the long view approach, yeah. right? And this is just about true in any business. The best are always taking the long view and are thinking more about their reputation than, you know, like like we said, trying to just get the deal done no matter what versus thinking as a fiduciary to your client. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the seller, the sellers can really suss out if a, 
if a banker is really just trying to get a deal done, right? It's going to tell them what they want to hear. And that, that usually scares people off. So yeah, I think I totally agree. Yeah. The best, there's the best bankers, ones are yeah, there's honest. bankers that will, you know, they throw it before you go to sell. Sometimes you'll do what's called a, in our world, it's called a broker uh, opinion of value, a BOV. And that is just a, Hey, I'm thinking about selling, but I don't know what this thing is worth. Can you do an analysis and quickly put together a package for me and give me some thoughts? Cool. Right. And so, uh, the good brokers will give a realistic, you know, value with a, you know, plus or minus. Right. And we'll give some strategic advice on, Hey, you know, actually, I don't think you should sell now. I think you'd be better off redoing this lease, restructuring the deal this way, uh, raising rents right in a year or doing so all kinds of these crazy things to maximize value in the future. And that what I would say, the less uh, valuable brokers are just going to tell you what you want to hear to get the listing because yeah. they know, Hey, if they tell you it's, it's worth 25% more than it really is, they're probably going to get the listing and then you're, there's going to be momentum. And then maybe you're just going to sell because you know, you, you already started thinking about the money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't hire those guys. Okay. So the last big bucket at the, I think we have to touch on Brad price, right? And price, I think it's sort it, of important. It's, it's, it's funny how everyone, everyone, no one wants to admit price is the most important thing in the beginning of a negotiation, but it, it it's always extremely important. Oftentimes it's the most important thing. Hey, if you name the price, I'll name the terms anytime. I'll take that deal. <laughs> did you just make that up? No, I wish I did. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say, you know, I, you know, you know, you and I just talked about this and I think that where we kind of landed was that I would say on average, on average, you know, you might get a higher price by using a, a broker than going off market. And simply because there is an auction process, you know, you are, you are marking the deal to a larger number of buyers. So you're probably going to get a higher price. But I think an important caveat is that that's not always, that's not always case that would, I think, and I th we think the range, I think the range on the one-off deals is, is wider than the range on the broker deals, right? The broker deals is more, a little tighter range, um, a little bit more efficient, whereas these one-off deals can be all over the map, right? Sometimes, and I've seen, I've had a guy email me back when I wanted to buy his business. He's like, you know, don't talk to me unless you're going to offer me 10 times revenues for my business, which is just crazy high price, but that's what he thinks he deserves. That's what he's going to try to get. And so, you know, in that case, the, that's a, that's a much higher potential price on a one-off deal than a, than a broker deal. So, yeah, and really it's kind of crazy because with the broker deal, the reason why I think the, the range of pricing is tighter, the dispersion is tighter, so to speak, is one is there is often a listing price, right? You determine up front what the price is. And, and generally that's not crazy. You guys have a listing price? Yeah, I know. What? <laughs> Are you serious? Not always. They actually say, hey, here's the price? Yeah, not always. Dude, with their, man. But um, yeah, a we lot of times. I've never, in our, in, um, I've never seen that in private equity. Yeah. So the bigger deals, they usually you, are what, unpriced. What do you guys do? Do you work? I mean, do you, are, <laughs> this is, is this why real no, estate guys just, are always golfing? We just collect checks. <laughs> you guys, Everyone's just like, I feel like there's an implicit agreement amongst real estate guys. All right, I'm going to pay this. Yeah, that's right. Buffett's thing too. It's like he, he doesn't even pursue deals unless there's a price. Is that right? Yeah, he doesn't want to waste his time. Gosh. I don't know if that was true when he was starting out, but yeah. now he's tell me what the price is. I'm yeah. not wasting my time. Yeah, but no, the bigger deals always have that little, you know, it says it says price or what, you know, what's the listing price? And then it'll say right next to it, unpriced. <laughs> well, so I, I wonder how often in real estate does the transaction occur within... You know, some small percentage off of the listing price. Is that common? 
Or does it usually go much? It over? depends on the market, right? Like right now, the market's kind of silly. So it's usually going much over. Yeah. So it's going, you know, depending on your asset class, right? But if you're if you're selling a well-located apartment building in California right now, you're going to get 30 bidders. Yeah. And it's probably going to be over asking price if the asking price was reasonable. It's almost like the the asking price in real estate is like, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna submit a bid, at least at least hit this number. I mean, you got to course will take over. You generally need to be around, you know, within ten percent of the number. So interesting, yeah, because we don't have that guidance in private equity. So uh, you can see, you know, in the first round of bids in a private equity deal, you might see a a one hundred percent difference between the lowest bid and the highest bid. <laughs> It's, it's all over the map. But see, that gets into why that world is you can get higher returns is because there's some inefficiencies. Yeah, there. yeah. No, that's interesting. Okay, so yeah, I think you know, as a seller, on average, you may get a higher price uh, with a bank or a broker. Of course, there's going to be some fees involved, so that's going to cut into that price. Um, but you know, the the one-off world or the off-market world is more inefficient, so I think the, the range is probably higher. Yeah, and so there's that anchor of that listing price, right? And there's also... <laughs> If it's unpriced, quote unquote, right? There's also what's called whisper pricing. Do you guys have whisper pricing? <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah. So, right, it sounds sexual. Yeah. Well, when you're the buyer. <laughs> don't it, ever whisper we, like we, that. <laughs> <laughs> when you're the buyer, you don't want to waste your time, right? We just talked about this. You don't want to, you know, you kind of want to go after the the deals you know you can close or know you can tie up and are not just, you know, the, the seller's unrealistic. So you you always ask the broker, Hey, I, I get that this thing is unpriced, mm, but, but what what's the whisper price? Does he whisper it in your ear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. They I'm gonna... take you out for a nice dinner and they whisper the price to okay. you. Okay. Uh, yeah. Again. Well, this has to do with, you know, the, this is what one of the advantages of being in this business a long time and and developing relationships with brokers and mortgage brokers and the various players is that you, yeah, you they know, give you a look, they it, give you a whisper price and they might not you give grease it. the wheels. Yeah. It just happens. That's, I mean, yep. Thus all the golfing. Thus a lot of golfing. Uh, yeah, a lot of closing dinners. All right, let's, let's land this baby here. So, um, you know, I think in sort of to wrap it up, there's, there's probably not a formula, right? It's not always in, in the seller's best interest to use a banker. It's not always in the seller's best interest to not use a banker. It's probably very dependent on the deal itself. What are your personal motivations? What, you know, what's important to you? Do you not want this broadcast widely all over the world? Do yeah, you, do you have just... a bunch of employees that have been with you forever that you don't want to spook with a, a lengthy process where 20 different buyers are coming through your property or company? Yeah, no, I think it's, yeah, so I think this is a very deal specific and a very personal decision. It's extremely personal. Uh, you know, and you, and you can find uh, fair, you know, fair deals are, are being done off market and, and on market. So yeah, think... and if you also, if you do a broker deal and it doesn't go well, Right. If you, you know, you uh, broadcast to the world that this thing's for sale and a bunch of people bid and they don't get it and then it doesn't go through. And a year later, you go back out to market. There's a little, you know, not there's a little taint on that deal. Yeah. Right. It's not quite as nice as it was a year ago. What what's wrong with this thing? So sometimes, you know, sellers want to do it, you know, off market just to avoid that. Yeah. Well, and I've learned that I'm going to I'm going to introduce whisper pricing to the private equity world. So, there you go. Look for that in the future. Thanks for listening to the Alternative Investor. Since you made it this far, you should take a second to subscribe to the podcast and join our email list. There you'll receive additional insights and insider access to the world of alternative investments. Just visit the alternativeinvestorshow.com.